Today's episode is brought to you by Patreon sponsor Greg Adams. If you'd like to find out more about how to sponsor the podcast through Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash school of laughs. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash school of laughs. We're also today brought to you by the Clean Comedy Conference. Are you a comedian who's looking to get more paid bookings via corporate gigs, cruise ships, churches, colleges, or clubs? Are you wanting to perform or write for late night TV? Then the Clean Comedy Conference is the conference for you. The conference will be taking place in San Diego, California, October 13th through the 15th. Early bird registration ends on August 15th, so sign up today at cleancomedyconference.com. As a special offer to School of Laughs listeners, use promo code School of Laughs to save $10. Again, go to cleancomedyconference.com today. And thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Roberts. Thanks again to our sponsors, the Clean Comedy Conference, which I'll tell you more about at the end of this episode, and Greg Adams, who's supporting us through Patreon. Uh, if you are a Patreon sponsor and you're at that $7 a month uh, contribution, I just wanted to remind you that this weekend on July 16th, that's Saturday, between 1 and 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, we're going to have our Google Hangout where we get to kind of mastermind our way around what we're doing in our comedy. And uh, this particular weekend, we're going to be talking about really defining who we are on stage and using that information in our marketing material. So make sure you... Join us for that if you are a Patreon sponsor at the $7 level. Okay, today's episode is really fun, and I will tell you right up front, at the beginning of the interview, the Skype call was a little bit uh, turbulent, but it settles in nicely a few minutes into it, so stick with us. It will get better, and I recorded this on a stormy night, and the storm was really sending lightning bolts all around, and I thought, you know what, if I die going down doing the podcast that's the way to go so i did not get struck by lightning but the skype has a little bit of hiccups to it here and there most of that though i got ironed out the interviews with matt ward who uh is in charge of planning a couple of different festivals here in tennessee so if you've ever wondered what does it take and what are these guys looking for man he really lays it out for us and i learned quite a few things on this podcast as well including uh, what kind of video to submit and specifically which platform to uh, submit that video through, as well as should I monetize that submission video or not? Pretty funny answer there. Also, uh, we talk about websites, basic website things you can do to make sure that if they do like you when they uh, watch your clip, they can follow through and find out more about you. He goes into great detail about headshots and revealed a few things I wasn't even aware of, and that's going to change the way I approach things here in the near future with my next headshot. So lots of really good stuff in here. And he also talks about why you might not be selected for a comedy festival, even though you might be funnier than some people that are in the festival. Very interesting there. And I think something that's worth listening to, whether you're a aspiring comedian or somebody that's been doing it for a while, very, very cool insight. So we're going to jump right now into the interview with Matt Ward. Again, a little wanky on the audio up front, but it does settle in. And all the information that he gives us, definitely worth listening to. So Matt Ward, how's it going, sir? 
Excellent. Coming to you live from uh, Huber Ridge in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, you recently moved there, huh? How's it going so far? So far, so good. The biggest thrift stores you've ever seen and traffic, real traffic. Yeah, you were in uh, uh, Knoxville before, right? Correct. So Knoxville, just at, it's kind of just east-west, and there's that little weird loop where you spin off to go to Lexington or keep on going to Bristol. Pretty much. And did you start comedy in Knoxville? I did not. I started comedy in Wilmington, North Carolina, for the most part, um, in 2007, technically. That's when I started doing weekly open mics at Nut Street Comedy Room, which was actually just called Nut Street, and it was a Tuesday night open mic in the location that eventually became the comedy club Nut Street Comedy Room in 2009. Gotcha. And so what led you into comedy in the first place? I was doing work as an MC for a few different music festivals that I was a marketing coordinator for in Bluffton, Ohio, so Northwest Ohio. I'm originally from Ohio, so I've kind of returned. Um, so yeah, that's where I was having to fill time between bands and uh it got a little dry and it was all factual and informational. And I just decided to make it a little more entertaining because I've always been a fan of Weird Al Yankovic, Dr. Demento, uh, you know, all various comedy stylings, big, big Brian Regan fan, you know, from listening to comedy on the radio when I was 12 years old in Southern Ohio, there was a station that actually simulcast on Sunday nights at six o'clock all clean comedians for an hour, all stand-ups. So I got to hear uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Richard Jenny and Richard Wright and, of course, Brian Regan, even some of the early stuff from uh, George Carlin, some of the stuff that was more radio-friendly. Okay, I'm 47, and I remember growing up listening to Dr. Demento a lot on Sundays on the way back from my grandparents' house. We'd crank that up and... uh, hear all those old Ray Stevens tunes and all that good stuff. So that's pretty cool. So you heard those clean comics and kind of got interested in it, mixed that in with some of the MC stuff you were doing. And then that eventually led to you writing your own material from that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the first material I wrote was in February of 2006. And I was having, I was working in sales for Verizon. So I was making more money. I'd ever made before. So I was throwing myself a birthday party every year and uh, it was very self-indulgent. So I decided to do stand-up there for the first time ever. And I did 20 minutes uh, and I actually wrote 20 minutes of material and I had it on little yellow uh, index cards. And I still have those index cards in that full set written out to this day. I keep it kind of as a memento of sorts. That's wild, man. So performing at your own birthday party and you cranked out 20 minutes, you wrote it and cranked it out. That's pretty impressive. And, yeah. And sometimes when people do comedy for the first time, they get bit and they're in there on. But my friends were not very giving. They definitely only laughed at stuff that was legitimately funny and shut me down and <laughs> the rest of it. So it was a good introduction. Unlike the you know, killing it the first time out and then just being delusional. I was I was kind of given a healthy dose of realism right away. And even friends that were non-comics when I first started that that night, there was some chuckles that were like, oh, that was awful. (laughs) So so bad it's funny. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's great, man. So you you did that for a while, and then 
uh, in Knoxville, you guys had a pretty good scene going there for a little while. And tell me about some of the shows that you guys produced. And, and did you put on some of those yourself, or were you part of a group of guys that put on shows? It's a kind of a consortium of people that put on shows. Now, it's you said it was going good for a little while. That sounded too past tense for me. Uh, it is going great currently. The only thing that's missing is a comedy club that didn't participate in local comedy community anyway. So it's it's been gone since 2014. But um, we have gained uh, the manager of that comedy club, Bridget Martin, as a comic in our scene now. So she's been welcomed with open arms to start performing with us. And uh, it's been great to see that. So, yeah, it's it's going good there. The production of shows is pretty widely distributed amongst uh, uh, comics in different areas. Danny Whitson does one at Oak Ridge. Um, uh, J.C. Ratliff produces some shows in the old city and also at open cord in West Knoxville, Shane Ryan runs, um, rain shine comedy, which produces comedy shows at a few different breweries, including casual pint in Hardin Valley and Saltworks brewery, uh, closer to downtown. So there's quite a bit going on. Um, it's just not every weekend. Right. Right. That's cool, man. And you also have a, a pretty good hand in some comedy festivals, uh, tell me about, there's two of them, right? The Cape Fear Festival and the Scruffy City? Yes, uh, the Cape Fear Comedy Festival, it, my partner in that is Timmy Sherrill, who started Nut Street, the Tuesday night open mic, and then subsequently started Nut Street Comedy Room, which is now Dead Crow Comedy Room. So it's had a few, it's had a, a reincarnation, I suppose, a rebirth in 2014 as Dead Crow Comedy Room in the building right next to its original location. So, and what's the, the scope of that festival? How many shows, how many comics, how many days? That's it's, that one has been four days since the beginning. So it starts on Wednesday and ends on Saturday. And, uh, it varies the amount of comics we have. We've tried to be a little bit more lean this past year. So we, uh, we're down to about five headline acts. And then, um, we had, I believe 40 comics that included locals and out of towners that performed on various showcases. That's pretty good, pretty good amount of uh, comics there. And how, how was the turnout how the crowds and, and how many different venues did you guys do that? And mainly just the one, or did you have satellite shows? Uh, we used three this year, which I was happy with too, because we had used five prior, but we had a couple shows, uh, Last year and you know prior years where the attendance wasn't where I wanted it to be, which doesn't value anyone. So you know the comics don't want to be coming in and from out of town and performing for no one. So we streamlined to three venues. We used uh, Real Cafe, uh, City Stage, which is a 200 seat um, old Masonic uh, theater, and um, and then Dead Crow Comedy Room. So all in all, we had about 400 seats to fill, and we ran the shows in a way that the crowd could rotate from one venue to the other because they're all within four blocks of each other on the same street. That's pretty cool. And then the, um, the other festival, how long have you been working with that one? Scruffy city. This will be its third year in uh, November. So we've, uh, we started it in 2014. Last year was our second year. And then this is our, this is the third. That's in Knoxville. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. So you're, you're pretty busy with those festivals. I noticed the other day you put out a post about how to get in comedy festivals, which is a question I get a lot. And I've only attended and participated in the uh, 
Laugh Fest up in Grand Rapids. So, like, yeah. I can tell people how I got in that one. But for people that are looking to get into their first festival, especially, uh, I've got the list here. But if if you want me to help you run through it and kind of give those tips out again, I thought it was exceptionally written. And you know, if you follow those steps and you're funny, you should have a good chance of getting in a festival. The way I looked at it. Sure. Um, I would be interested to start with uh, to talk about what you did to get into the Grand Rapids Festival, and I can kind of expound on those points because I think some of them will be the same. Sure. Well, I, that was a festival that I saw you know, for many years, and I knew the guys from Funny Business. I do uh, still do some corporate gigs for them, but back in the day, I used to do every little town up in Michigan that had water in the summer. They had a little bar, and they had a little comedy gig going on and uh multiple shows you know, all over the country they booked and so i hadn't done a lot of club work in a while and i kind of missed hanging out with comics so i just shot a message over there one day and said hey what's what's the process for getting in with the the comedy fest and they said well send us a clip and we'll, we'll check it out and he got back to me fairly quickly and said yeah let's do it yeah someone is just pretty much a submit a clip but you don't have to do a fee or anything like that i think it's is that correct? Yeah, at least I did. I don't remember paying a fee to get in, and, and that one I, you know, I got paid to perform. Yeah, Laugh Fest is kind of the next echelon of comedy festival. The Yoders put on a, a higher level festival. They have a, a budget that uh, affords them to be able to do uh, what everybody should be doing eventually with their comedy festival, which is paying all the acts and you know not having to charge people to to submit. But. Uh, uh, a festival like ours we still try to you know we'll bootstrap as much as we can basically comic crowdfund being able to put the event on um, but the submission process for many of the festivals that i've run into uh, is very similar um it's very heavily reliant on a good performance video uh, more than anything uh, a video is probably the most important thing uh, to your comedy career, period. But festivals almost exclusively use video as the way to gauge whether someone is going to be accepted to perform at their festival. Right. Let's, let's break down like what makes a good video. I think you had some great, great tips on, you know, very specifically, because I think each festival will tell you exactly what they want to see. I didn't, I didn't say this in the, uh, in the blog, but I think that after kind of listening to some feedback and stuff, I really believe people shouldn't be submitting open mic performances for comedy festivals unless it's a open mic that just has an amazingly responsive crowd. And it is a place where they can get quality, stable, non-moving camera video, uh, HD with a perfect audio, uh, open mics are usually not very conducive to that. And also open mics are pretty, be uncontrollable so you'll have you know people uh talking during the set you'll have lighting be uh less than desirable it's the best that the person reviewing your submission can see you watch your if they can't see you they can't see your facial expressions which add to jokes as you well know um uh not to mention other mannerisms other stuff that would be you know show us as reviewers that there was some stage presence so the quality of the video a horizontal shot video it can even be on an iphone uh just as long as the audio is is decent uh the audio has to be audible we have to be able to tell what you're saying we have to be able to hear the crowd laughing uh, you would think some of these things are kind of givens but i have gotten 
dozens of submissions that were shot on an iPhone with someone just uh, holding the camera, shaky, laughing so loud you can't even hear the person telling their jokes because it's their friend holding the camera or spouse. And in the end, I can't tell if they're a good performer or not because I really didn't get to see a very good representation of what their show would be like. Right. And I think that's important too. Like you mentioned, you know, a set that starts after the MC introduces you, you don't want the MC on the video. It sounds, it sounds simple. People that wouldn't review submissions would never think about this. I have so often thought that the MC was the comic submitting. Yeah. Because there'll be MCs on these videos sometimes doing a joke. And then introducing the person. So I'm like, okay, well, who's this new person coming into the video? Like, well, this other person's already been telling jokes for the first 35 seconds of this video. So don't waste the person's time that's reviewing it. Most of the people reviewing submissions are going to eventually review somewhere in the line of nine hours to to 24 hours of stand-up footage because we watch the videos. That's the only way to be fair. and. It's it's not in your best favor when you're putting stuff in front of your comedy. Just get to the mic and start doing stand-up. Make it audible. Make it visible. And, you know, make sure your jokes are hitting. If they're not, you probably don't have a submission video. Yeah, you don't want the MC getting the gig at the festival and not you from that one joke that they did before your set. I mean, the MC wouldn't get the gig, but, I mean, it still would make us go, well, you know, if he if he submitted a video too of his own stuff, I'm gonna have seen him twice now, <laughs> and be like, well, maybe I'll give that guy a shot. Yeah, and you know, I think too sometimes comics would assume that you would like edit together a, a, a sizzle reel of your best stuff, but you would prefer from the time you hit the microphone until the length of the video submission. So if it's eight minutes, ideally they do an eight minute set somewhere and send that in, right? Yeah, I mean anything over three minutes. Three minutes, I can tell if someone's got it or not. I mean, within three minutes, you can, if it's not a storyteller comic, storyteller comics will give you longer stuff and, and we'll watch, you know, at least a five minutes to eight minutes of that storytelling type style comedy. But three minutes, most of the time, you can tell if someone's going to be able to pull off eight minutes or 12 minutes or something like that. You can tell by their pacing and their, and their writing style. And if they're, if they put the thought into what they're doing, if they're working on it, you know, and, and actively working hard and writing and, and have a video that's, you know, audible and, and visually, you know, easy to see, it could be a highlight reel, but most comedy festivals, 95% of them are going to want it to be consistent, a full six minutes or a full eight minute set beginning with your introduction. Yeah, that makes sense because that's what they're trying to book and line up the show for. And if they can see a full, a full start to finish eight minutes, it, yeah. I would assume it also help you once you got the comics lined up for the festival, know how to arrange the order of the show based on some sure. material you've seen, right? Yeah, one of the one of the things I think that comics don't understand about rejections is that when we put together a comedy festival, we try to make it. Uh, something that's going to appeal to everyone that comes to see the comedy festival. And that typically means that we're going to need a variety of different styles of comedians, different um, backgrounds. You know, we want some diversity in our lineup, 
both in the people performing and the styles of comedy that they're performing. And a lot of times people are really good and they would be accepted if we had 50 or 100 spots available, but we only have 30 or 40. They don't make it because there were so many people that were their style of comedy that were slightly better or, you know, had something that they didn't. And I mean, not it's a minutia. It's a panel of four or five people sometimes, submit, you know, reviewing these or more. So there could be something very just a nuance about that person that is appealing to the people reviewing it. And that person's going to get selected as opposed to the person that's a better joke writer, but doesn't have a specific stage presence or whatever it is that grabbed the reviewers. So I hate it when people beat themselves up over not making it in because every comedy festival for the most part has a mix of comics. They have to figure out how these comics are going to fit on a show. And if it's a bunch of comics that do one liners or a bunch of comics that just do uh, just one style of joke, whether it be more adult, blue and aggressive, or you know, uh, scientific and kind of nerdy, you can't book a bunch of that same type of comic. You have to diversify it to make the shows richer and fuller and better for the audience. And I think that's something that you can't really tell someone that has submitted is good, gets booked, paid work, and doesn't make it into the comedy festival. Um, when they submit the clips, you know, they're, they're probably going to send you in an email, a link or in the form for the comedy festival, put a link in there. And I saw you mentioned something really good that uh, you don't want to see an ad on YouTube for a minute before you get to the clip of the comic. So, yeah, I mean, if it's I'll be OK with it, if it's a video that they put up that has like, you know, 200,000 views, that's fine. that's fine because that's made you money. And obviously you're paying to submit, so I'm not a, I'm not going to try to stop anybody from making money. But I, an ad that's enabled on a video that has six views because the six people that were reviewing the submission all watched it, that's 30 seconds of our lives we'll never get back. And we'll already have kind of this impression like, oh, man, it's that guy. Yeah, you, don't, don't be that guy. Huh? Don't be that guy. And so, you know, some comics I know... I know for a fact a lot of them, you know, they can do the comedy, but they're not very tech savvy. So for YouTube, you can go in and, and, you know, click the thing that says monetize or unclick it. So if you unclick it, there will not be an ad. And Yeah, and it's not default clicked. So <laughs> that means someone actively enabled it. And then, you know, I, I use Vimeo for stuff like that because it's I, I like it. It's better. It doesn't show a million videos off to the side to distract people when they're watching your video. You can make it unlisted, but have a link, or you can make it password protected and provide a password. Yeah, and I don't. Uh, I don't like Vimeo. It's because Vimeo doesn't stream smoothly on a mobile device. So a lot of times it's, it will watch on tablets or watch on iPhones or, or Androids, and Vimeo isn't as smooth of an experience on those devices. There's a lot of buffering that happens if you're not on a strong connection. So... Uh, it's Vimeo's fine. I can I can view it, but Timmy, I know for a fact that Cape Fear hates Vimeo videos. Like he'll review them, but it's just so inconvenient to sit and watch one buffer or because they're so high quality. Those are yeah, those are those are real. They look really good. If you're trying to you know do a web series or something, I by all means use Vimeo, but it just doesn't really optimize too well for. Uh, 
for reviewing submissions. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about the streaming part of that. And I've got my website videos hosted on Vimeo because it, I don't know, I've got a little widget where I, when I post a video on Vimeo, it automatically uploads it to my video page on my website. So I don't have to go through that process. But with so many people watching on mobile now, that may be. Well, Vimeo still works for the most part on mobile. You just have to test it on different mobile devices. That's the best recommendation I can give when it comes to using it for your website. Just ch- you know, check it on an iPhone, check it on an iPad. Check it on an Android, make sure, you know, because you never know what a booker's going to use to check her stuff out. That's true. They're, uh, they're sitting at the office with their computer up and using their iPad at the same time sometimes. Well, let's talk about websites for a second, because when you submit to a festival, you're going you're to send that link. And if you're interested in that person, you're obviously going to go want to find out more about them. What would you recommend for a website? Uh, let's start with basic and then what would be optimal? Oh, you know, I, I don't have a problem with people that use tumblr for their website that's free um you can do a wordpress site for free i mean domain names are so cheap now they're like 10 or 15 dollars most of the time so you can attach that to you know just about any blog style site a lot of people i know are using squarespace now for websites i think that has a monthly fee attached to it so it's not the free route you can do a free wix site um you don't have and don't get complex if you're not if computers are not for you, uh, keep it simple. It's a skill set you're you know, best off learning a little bit about. You don't need to spend all your time away from writing jokes and figuring out how, com- you know, how to program HTML and, and you know, gla- graphics and calendars and all that stuff. But just have a landing pad like for your stuff where you can have a booking video or a contact form and headshots the most important being headshots high high resolution downloadable headshots for people to use for posters whenever you're performing or you know headlining or whatever it happens to be and that's that's very important and it's not expensive to do it anymore i mean it used to be free like angel fire days geo city days and it still is it's just you know, it takes a takes a minute to go online, and this is the number one recommendation I have for anyone that's stuck on that. Just go to YouTube and search how to put design my own Wix page or how to design my own uh, WordPress page, and you'll watch a six minute video that'll explain it all perfectly. Yeah, that's great. With with the headshots, do you like a Straight up headshot? Do you like the comical? Do you like, you know, a lot of people up here in Nashville have the lollipop with the, the orange background and all the exaggerated features. What makes for a good poster for a comedy festival? Digital really makes it important that your headshot translate in a square or circular format because that's what you're going to use for icon. Facebook, and then you would have another style that would work for a banner, which is more uh, horizontal as opposed to square or vertical. So vertical is really not helpful ever. That's the best thing to say is a vertical headshot is going to end up having to be cropped into a square. Um, like the old, the days of the 8x10 don't have any application to web promotion uh, because people are going to cut that into a square or they're going to cut it horizontally to use for a Facebook banner. So um, headshots are best wide, if any anything and uh, I'd recommend not having your headshots centered either because you could have your headshots set up so that text could be added to the same graphic or 
you know, they have room to play with to put something on that side as opposed to trying to fit text around your head or cut your whole whole body out. Um, and that may sound complex, but it's just do headshots that aren't the typical eight by ten format, unless you're intending to print them out and mail them somewhere. Now, I think it's great because I hadn't thought about that as a smart thing to give you some extra extra buffer room in there. And absolutely do your headshot, at least a few of them on a plain background, either a white or a black or even green screen style background. Something that is easy to, that's a different color than your skin, your hair, your shirt, because then it can be cut out and you can be put into a poster very easily. Well, that's cool, man. Well, you've given us a lot of good tips today. Uh, let me know where you want me to send people. You can send them to uh, scruffycitycomedy.com. Uh, to find out more, uh, it's really become a local comedy portal for Knoxville. So if you're looking for a show in Knoxville, uh, if you're just looking for stage time or if you want to find out more about the Scrappy City Comedy Festival, we also have our, our entire city's comedy schedule on there. So, Very good, sir. All right, man. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Matt. Good luck to you, buddy. So there you go, Matt Ward with some excellent tips on how to submit your videos and your information to possibly be selected for a comedy festival. Again, check him out at scruffycitycomedy.com and that'll link to all the information about all the festivals that he's involved with. Very good job, Matt. Thanks for being with us. Again, we were sponsored this episode by Greg Adams, a Patreon sponsor. If you are a Patreon sponsor at that $7 a month level, don't forget we've got our Google Hangout this Saturday from 1 to 2 Central Standard Time. This is kind of our monthly mastermind where we swap ideas out. It's never too late to join that, and it's never too late to join Club 52, which is a 52-week program that's available to people at that same level. This episode is also brought to you by the Clean Comedy Conference, which takes place this year, October 13th through 15th in San Diego, California. There's an adage in stand-up comedy that clean is green, and that means two things. It means, one, that clean plays everywhere, and two, it can lead to some cash. At this conference, you're going to learn about this from professional comedians and bookers such as Eddie Brill, Jimmy Brogan, Charlene May, Amy Piddle, Tony Calabrese, and Scott Wood. And they're going to address how to navigate the challenges of making money as a clean comedian. In addition to working at clean comedy venues, most of these speakers and panelists have written for television and booked clubs, colleges, churches, cruise ships, and late-night TV such as Letterman. So listen up. You want to check this conference out. The theme for this year is Clean Isn't a Dirty Word. Come out and find out for yourself why. Early bird registration ends August 15th, so sign up today at cleancomedyconference.com. And as a thank you to School of Last listeners, use promo code School of Last for a special $10 discount. Again, go to cleancomedyconference.com for more information today. And lastly, folks, it's time for a quick iTunes review. This one comes in from Bruce Bradford Royal, who says, Rick, I cannot thank you enough for all the work you put in this podcast. I'm just getting started into the world of comedy, and I'm hooked on this. I met you at the Christian Comedy Association a few weeks ago, and I'm glad that I did. I'm finding myself listening constantly, and when I can't sit down for a long duration, I get in as much listening time as I can before life interrupts. Now, I just need to take all that I'm learning from this podcast and put it to work. Thanks again, Rick, for using the gift that you have been given to help other people fine-tune their gift. Hey, thank you very much, Bruce Bradford Royal, for that five-star iTunes review. Uh, I'm happy to share the information, and I'm even more excited when people take that information and put it to you. So I hope you find time to do that and keep me abreast of all your success as you proceed. 
if you're listening and you're able to leave us an iTunes review, it means the world to me when you do that, and it keeps me fired up. And of course, I'll read it right here on the air. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to most of you next week and a few of you this Saturday, July 16th on our Google Hangout. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.